never seen a lame man walk Never heard a dumb man talk Never seen a blind man see I promise you a pain Never seen a canceled death Never seen all the poor get fed Never seen a prisoner set free I promise you a change podcast special interview uh, segment here special episode gonna drop and and we're excited about this Uh, as always i'm here with my best friend clint shannon clark oh wait i'm not supposed to say your middle name i won't i won't say dream's middle name i know it though live from greenbrier arkansas how you doing clint i'm great it's calvin by the way um <laughs> only only know that because he, he signs my um he, he's got to sign my 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 rank for ibjjf and it's got it has got my middle name shannon too like i've seen tournaments where i'll be competing and they'll say see shannon well, i'm like is this, losing this match isn't bad enough you haven't even introduced him yet so why well, i know that our guest for this special podcast well, everybody with me, with us, is the godfather of Arkansas jiu-jitsu, um, Mr. Danny Dream, Professor Danny Dream. Hey, gentlemen. It's good to be here with you guys. Now, Danny, man, Dream, thanks for being with us, man. We appreciate you jumping onto the podcast, and we're excited about this. Uh, as I told you before we got on, you know, MMA, uh, mixed martial arts, UFC stuff, that's not necessarily my forte. It's not something that I – know a ton about but my man Clint is a lot more educated so he's gonna he's gonna kind of ramrod this one today and I'm looking forward to, to talking to you and kind of hearing uh hearing about you and, and what you've done and what you got plans here so Clint man take it away with our man Danny what what's what's crazy is Arkansas has got a very because of Bryce and and a couple other guys that went out had had success all over the world. Um, Arkansas is getting a pretty well-known jiu-jitsu scene. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, well-known in MMA now. It wasn't always the case. The man that we have here with us, Mr. Danny Dring, he brought jiu-jitsu to the state of Arkansas. Isn't that correct? You were the first one to start practicing Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the state of Arkansas? No, I don't know if I was actually the the first one to practice jiu-jitsu in Arkansas, but I was – Definitely one of the first. Um, there were a couple of other guys uh, that that were doing it a little bit. Uh, now, I was the first to actually earn my black belt. I know I was the first BJJ black belt, uh, Arkansan black belt in the state. Um, we had uh, – there were a handful of uh, guys around the state that were doing either jiu-jitsu or doing some form of grappling, but not, not much. And then uh, I was – I was fortunate that I was just kind of ahead of the pack a little bit and in getting into BJJ. I, I, you know, I mean, I started in Taekwondo and then I got into kickboxing. I actually, you know, fought on ESPN back in the day. And, and uh, then I got into Muay Thai. Well, back when I first started doing Thai boxing in the early eighties, 
man, nobody knew what Muay Thai was. That was kind of head. And then from there, I got into uh, a Japanese style of jiu-jitsu and then uh, had the opportunity to actually train with uh, Horian Hoist Gracie at a seminar in all places in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, and uh, yeah, a guy brought them. Uh, there was a guy that brought them in. And, uh, and so, so I, went I that know to- that name because I used to rent those first UFCs. Used to rent those video VHS tapes. Yeah. You know, and I heard about this, you know, because I'd been into wrestling and things like that. He's, you know, back when they had no time limits. And well, I actually worked out with Hoist and Horian three years before the first UFC. So, yeah. you know, before any of that, you know, before it, it really took off, uh, I was already into doing jujitsu and grappling and training. And it was, you know, so I, I was just blessed to kind of be ahead of the curve in terms of ground fighting and grappling, you know, before it was kind of going way, way before it went mainstream, right? I was uh, able to, uh, you know, I was into it and just wanted it to be part of my overall martial art education. Well, and I think you're underselling your your Japanese jiu-jitsu, that, um, that weeping style. It is the most painful thing any man will ever experience. <laughs> he, 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 he'll grab my wrist and I'll just start immediately screaming, I hate you. <laughs> well if it's called weeping style Ooh, I'm, thinking, yeah. I'm gonna stay away from it anyway yeah it, it, it's, it is it is it uh, is it is something about twisting up those uh those wrists in it you know i mean wrist locking it gets depending on who you're talking to they either love it or they hate it or they'll undersell it but i it's a tool in the tool chest you know it's the way i've always looked at it it's not the be all and end all but it can be uh pretty it can be pretty effective if it's applied correctly. It's like anything else, you know, it's the, uh, you know, if, if you need a hammer, a screwdriver is a sucky tool, <laughs> but when you need a screwdriver, the screwdriver is the only tool you need. Yeah. So I, I think it's about, you know, using it appropriately at the right time. Now, what got you into it? So, you know, did you start as a young kid? Did your parents get you into I did. I, I trained when I was about seven years old. I started off my, my dad and I trained a little bit and, and, uh, his hours at the time, you know, we trained for a while, I, probably almost a year, not quite a year, probably nine months or so. And then his hours changed. He worked for uh, channel seven at the time, uh, worked for KTV was an on-air personality and, uh, his, uh, his hours changed. And uh, so, but I got a taste of the martial arts, you know, I mean, like every other kid that grew up in Arkansas back in the day, you knew what season it was by the sport you played, right? So, I mean, it was football in the fall, basketball in the winter, track in the spring and baseball in the summer. And so I grew up playing team sports up until up through about junior high and then uh, I stayed small and everybody else got big. And that was about the time that uh, I started doing more individual sports was junior high, the end of junior high, beginning of high school. And then I got back into, uh, I got back into the martial arts, um, probably my senior year in high school. And then uh, no looking back. Did you start off with Taekwondo or? I did. Something like that. Training Taekwondo started. There's a Taekwondo gym fairly close to my home. Well, Actually, I mean, I, I was visited a couple of boxing gyms 
and then uh, uh, got into Taekwondo and uh, always had a love for boxing, but uh, got into Taekwondo and then uh, went to college at uh, uh, Baylor. I went down to Waco, Texas, and I trained in a style called Shotokan and did that while I was in Texas for about two years. And I came back to Arkansas, um, got back, uh, ended up graduating from UALR, got back into Taekwondo mm -hmm. and then uh, worked eventually I made my black belt and I finished, I mean, I was working at the gym. There was a, a Nautilus plus Taekwondo place owned by a guy named Jim Botine. And I, uh, I was working on the Nautilus side of the floor, lifting and, and exercising. And then uh, when I got high enough in rank to be able to co uh, teach martial arts, I moved to the martial arts side of the gym. And then uh, when I graduated college, I uh, bought the gym from uh, Mr. Botine and moved it into my own, own location. And so I've been doing that ever since. You know, it's, it's so funny that, that, you know, this is one of the things that me and you didn't even know that kind of, you know, binds us is when me and Travis were in high school, they called me, him, and another guy, the Jumbo Teens. After Jim <laughs> <laughs> our, our offensive line coach. Yeah, yeah. Call, like, jumbo teens, get over here. <laughs> Those three would go slowly running over there. Yeah. Commercials for that gym or something, you know, which I think he had one in Conway, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. That it turned in. He had a whole, whole, uh, at one time, I mean, he had them all over Arkansas, down yeah. Texas, Arkansas, and all over the so state. That's why I kind of laughed when you said jumbo teens there. Yeah. Me and Travis both started yeah. giving, like, yeah. like little school kids. Like, <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> so so dream can i ask you now obviously you've had a lot of athletes come through your door why am i the greatest one <laughs> it's no, got to be the attitude simply <laughs> simply the attitude you know so, well, well, uh, I, I remember my first class that i had he he'd been trying to get me to come in forever and and, and what got me into it was number one brock lesnar I was a big Brock Lesnar fan. He had just transitioned to the UFC at the time. And I had another friend that he was going doing jiu-jitsu at another place. He lost quite a bit of weight. I'm like, that's what I need to do. I need to do that. And then I'll be pretty. Um, <laughs> and so I, I go in there. And, Dring, do you remember much about my first class? Uh, mainly that you were sucking copious amounts of oxygen. Oh, and then – Ended up getting kind of violently ill there towards the end of the class. <laughs> it was, it was, Dring's noon, now your noon class is is legendary because that is, you, you go to Danny Dring's noon class, you may be doing jiu-jitsu, you may be doing kickboxing, you may just be exercising. And and that's like, I've, I've been told that's your favorite class to teach is that noon class. It is, you know, it's funny, I, I would, I'm still patting now. We ended up dividing out because our jiu-jitsu program has gotten, a lot bigger over the years right so now we have an 11 a.m jiu-jitsu class and then we follow that with a, a noontime kickboxing class and uh so we have kind of like a two-hour block there in the middle of the day but back in the day i mean the noon class was the first class that i got to teach I and mean, when i was like a red belt in taekwondo that was my class you know i mean so uh, I've, I've been i've been teaching for a long time and then it's also smaller, so you get more of that one-on-one, -on -one, which uh, I I enjoy working with it. I tell people all the time, jiu-jitsu's never walked in my door. Kickboxing, taekwondo's never walked in my door. People walk in my door. And so I don't teach martial arts. I teach people. And uh, 
So that's, that's always kind of been my deal. And being able to develop that one-on-one and work with people individually and helping people attain their goals and then being able to share my love. So, you know, the evening classes are always going to be bigger. I mean, they just are. And so, I mean, I might have two or three in noon class. I might have a grand total of six or, you know, I mean, if we have eight people in a noon class, you're like, wow, that's a big class. So, uh, but normally it's two, three, four. And uh, I have just as much fun working with people one-on-one as I do when I've got, you know, 25, 30 people in, in a class. You know, I, I, I just love sharing and I love working with people. I love helping people. And one of the great things I think about Dring, I'm going to brag on him here for a second because um, I just want to. And I've known him well enough that I got his organization tattooed right here on this bicep. There you go. So um, so one of the great things about Dring is he can teach all body, body styles. I remember he pulled me aside one day, Clint, I don't expect your jiu-jitsu to look like Tony's because Tony's a little bitty guy. He goes, you can't do stuff that he can do, but you still have to know what he can do. That way you can help others. And it's always stuck with me. And I've got guys now that they they go, I say, look, yeah, you'll never use worm guard, but you need to know it just so you've got a working knowledge of it. And you may be in a position to help others. So yeah. what, what, what do you think, what kind of jujitsu, you know, as far as body styles, what makes you good at teaching that? I think it's understanding the art and just studying, you know, like it, to take somebody that's built like you to have a little more of a pressure passing game, working, not, I hate to use the term sloth jujitsu, but you know, I mean, hey, there's an oxygen demand that a 300, you know, 280, 290, 300 pound guy is going to have a different oxygen demand. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, there's there's aspects of your game. Like I tell people all the time, you know, look, there's two things I can't do. I can't out young a young guy and I can't out big a big guy. So, you know, it's just like I don't expect you to outspeed a speedy guy. You know, what I mean, a little dude like Tony can do stuff, but you can do things he can't do, you know. Right. Yeah. It's, it's understanding the various games of jujitsu, different styles and and studying body type but also i think it's a lifetime of coaching i mean you know i mean understanding i i don't like carbon copy martial arts you know i mean i don't expect i don't try to train people to be like me because then they're going to be that means they're old and they're broken you know that's that's not how i want people to be what i i think the mark of a good instructor is somebody that helps develop their individual athletes to being the best that they can be and help them bring out their game and, and encourage them to study. Cause ultimately a good coach is more like a mountain climbing guide, right? He can show you the path up the mountain and suggest you take this route or suggest you take that route, but he can't climb the mountain for you. Ultimately, everybody's got to learn how to teach them, you know, has to teach themselves. You know I mean? I'm, I'm always encouraging people to, you know, to study, because if I'm your only source of information, you're messing up on a large scale, you know, but if I can help guide you to, to look for sources of information, if I can help you, you know, look for your path, then I'm doing my job. You know, that's, that's kind of how I, uh, that's, that's the way I approach, not just jujitsu, but all my martial arts. Well, and I, I think, I think that's a great point. And 
I think that's neat. That's an understanding that coaches need for any sport. And you, you hinted at that, as you said that, you know, in football and basketball and baseball or tennis or whatever, you need to understand the person you're coaching, what makes them tick. And, and you can't coach everybody the same and everybody, you're not going to have a car, you know, everybody can't be a Tom Brady. Everybody can't be a, you know, Patrick Mahomes in football or somebody like that. And so I think that's a great point. And that's a sign of a good coach that they get to know their player and, and they, they know how to coach them. And, and, and as you do with, you know, if you think about it, it's interesting because some, you know, some coaches go out and they only work with athletes that can fit into their scheme. Right. Uh, and, and, and they become really, really good coaches, yeah. but they go out and they recruit and they hire particular kinds of athletes that are going to represent their brand of football, basketball, baseball, whatever. And then, but in my business, I'm not, I'm not paying people to train with me. People are paying me to train them. So I've got to be able to, to be more adaptive. Right. And, and it's fun to me in, in working with, man, I've worked with, professional boxers, professional kickboxers, professional MMA fighters, professional grapplers. I mean, I've had, you know, people compete in the highest levels of, of several dis- different disciplines. And so it being able to find out what makes somebody tick, you know, where sometimes you got to yell and get, get onto somebody for other people that'll shut them down. Yeah. I'm not the kind, I don't like, you know, when people start getting up in my face, it shuts me down. I need, mm-hmm. But when somebody motivates me, I, I'm more like, hey, dangle that carrot in front of me and I'm going to move toward that carrot. But some people, they need a kind of more of a, a whack in the back with a stick, you know, and some people need equal amounts of both. They need the carrot, but they also need the big stick. <laughs> Understanding how to motivate your individuals, and that means just, taking the time to get to know the people that you're working with a little bit and uh, being able to find out a little bit about them, knowing how to communicate, you know, different, different people relate to different things, you know, and it's definitely not one size fits all, you know, I, I, it's, I, I just feel like that's the fun of being a coach is being able to, to identify with individuals and help them and help motivate them and keep them going because not everything resonates with everybody, you know? So it's a, it's a challenge. And sometimes you're going to, you know, fail forward fast. Sometimes you have to try two or three different things before you really catch something that sticks with your, uh, with your guys. Well, and I can see where, especially in your sports, um, every opponent is different. So when you're coaching someone that way, then they're going to be ready to attack in different ways because, you know, one opponent maybe you got to have a good ground game for one, you got to have a good upstanding game for or whatever. And so um, I, I see that's, that's very good stuff. Yeah. So, so during now, I remember when me and you've talked before, you talk about how you remember being a judge at Santa, some of Rampage Jackson's early fights. Oh Yeah. What what were them early MMA shows like? Because everybody thinks it's all glamorous, UFC and all that. What were them early, early shows? They were wrong. You know, I actually put on one of the first all-amateur MMA shows in the nation. So 
you got to remember, even the early UFCs were pro-ams. So Tito Ortiz, everybody know, I mean, one of the, yeah. you know, UFC Hall of Famer, right? He first fought on the UFC as an amateur, you know? Yeah. Even Tito was an amateur when he first started fighting the UFC. So it's interesting um, because most of the shows were pro-am. I had a guy, a guy named Eddie Goldman. He had a, uh, a rag at the time. I mean, it was an actual newspaper called the Valley Tudo News that uh, he was based out of New York. We did a show and uh, he contacted me from New York, which blew my mind. It's like, how did you find out about my show? But the community at that time was pretty small. There wasn't, I mean, it, it just, it, it wasn't as, as mainstream as it was. And, you know, there was a time, hell, I probably knew everybody in about a three or four state area that, you know, was producing fighters or had guys that were willing to uh, jump in and the shows were a little more raw. You know I mean? I, I actually, um, when I did my show, I was instituting rounds, um, back in the day, you know, it's funny looking at it now, but, but at the time I even had, uh, my first, some of my early shows, I did a time limit on the ground, which really seems weird today, but now the judges are all, I mean, the referees are a lot faster to stand guys up if there's a lack of action. Right. And uh, man, when you had guys climbing in there and, and you had a lot of guys that really didn't know a lot about ground fighting and, uh, and you had a totally uneducated crowd. I mean, people would hit the ground, even guys that knew, you know, that were wrestlers and, or uh, BJJers hit the ground. The audience a lot of times would start booing because they yeah. had no idea what they were looking at. Yeah. You know, they'd see two guys locked up on the ground. And then you would have guys that maybe weren't, I mean, they were in shape to fight, but they didn't know a lot about grappling. I mean, they would lock on and just hang on for dear life and do absolutely nothing. Well, you know, if you're running a no time limits or a 20 minute fight, you can do that. But, you know, we live in an era where everybody wants instant gratification. And, and that was, you know, and now they'll separate the fighters standing back up. Well, you know, we tried just doing, you know, some timely because we wanted people when they hit the ground to get moving. You know, I didn't want somebody just hanging on in the guard and not doing anything. We were trying to motivate people to, to stay busy. And so, uh, and this was before the unified rules of MMA even existed. So, the, 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 to answer your question, Clint, I mean, uh, it was a little different. The guys that had a wrestling background uh, did well. Um, the people that were, you know, if you knew anything about jiu-jitsu back then, man, it, I mean, you were like Superman when you hit the ground, you know? I mean, there's so many people had no clue about what to do when they when they got on the ground. So uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting. And you would see a little more uh, – it didn't take long – like, honestly, it really didn't take that long before everybody was cross-training. You know, the, the original MMA shows were, were kind of style versus style. But, you know, that didn't last that long. It no, didn't it did. take too long for people to realize, hey, if you got boxing, kickboxing or tie boxing, wrestling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, maybe judo or sambo, you, uh, you needed kind of a mix of certain – you know, you might see somebody that that was pretty salty that came from a, a kickboxing, I mean, a, a, like a karate or a taekwondo background or, 
Um, but fundamentally, you know, the guys that were salty from Taekwondo or karate had already done kickboxing. You know, they weren't, they weren't stylistically pure. They were, they were coming from a contact aspect and, uh, it didn't take to, I mean, even today, right. I mean, you occasionally see somebody that's more of a judo player or more of a sambo player, but fundamentally it's jujitsu and wrestling, boxing and tie boxing, you know, or kickboxing. So, you know, those, those tend to be the styles that, that honestly, you know, do the, uh, that do the best. Now, somebody may have got into the martial arts like me. I got into it with, with Taekwondo. Until you have somebody that maybe they started out as Taekwondo and from Taekwondo, they got into kickboxing or, or, you know, they got into BJJ and then, you know, because they had some striking and they had some grappling, then they went on in and, and got into MMA. I mean, different people have different paths, right? And that's cool. That makes, makes the sport fun is seeing the path that people take, you know, now you have people that, go to MMA gyms that are truly, you know, I mean, I always, my approach to MMA is that MMA mixed martial arts. Before you mix martial arts, you ought to know two or three, you know, but you got people who go to MMA gyms and they learn some striking and they learn some grappling and it's all kind of, it's truly mixed almost like it's a style unto itself, which before I used to say it's not, but now, uh, you know, I mean, there's enough gyms out there that people are um, coming, uh, coming out of gyms like that. And that's all they've ever known, which, man, you know, 30 years ago wasn't like that. Yeah. Now, you talked earlier about what it takes to motivate different people and how, you know, for one person, it's one way and one person, it's another. How do you motivate our man, Clint? What, what's, your, what's your tactic there? What do you do to? And I just got to show them. I have a way to do it too. I'm just going to see if it's different. (laughs) Well, so look, all kidding aside, Clint was an athlete. You know, he played college ball, grew up, you know, had had done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's no, honestly, anytime you got somebody that's played football on a collegiate level, I mean, you know, they're, they're not a stranger to having a, run wind sprints and do work right i mean you're not you're not playing you're not playing ball through high school and into college without having to train and uh then too i mean he had he had messed with uh you know some pro wrestling and and so when he came to me he was out of shape but that didn't mean he didn't know what it was like to be in shape he knew what it was like from playing college ball and stuff and then it was mainly just a matter of like Hey, dude, I mean, he told me, I mean, he told me, I listened to him, what he wanted to do in terms of getting back into shape, what he wanted. And then what you do is you just kind of remind him of what he tells you, you know, it's like, Hey brother, this is what you told me. If you want this, then you got to do that, (laughs) you know? And and, And we hit it off on a personal level. So I wasn't ever shy about calling him up. Hey brother, where you at? You know, man, yeah. You know I mean? I, I wanted to make sure that I was seeing him in class and, you know, stayed in touch. And then uh, it was interesting, even when he moved out of Arkansas for a while and uh, life took him to North Carolina. So happened that one of my other students lived in North Carolina and he, 
he just randomly, I mean, through, you know, the universe, uh, yeah. just the good Lord ended up taking him to uh, High Point, North Carolina, where I had a, had a student that had a gym and was able to kind of continue to help guide his career and, and follow him. And then uh, when, it, when life brought him back to Arkansas, you know, able to, to help, help oversee. So even when he wasn't training directly in my gym, he was training at, at students of mine and affiliates of mine. And so I've been fortunate to be able to oversee and help God. And, and to this day, I mean, I'm driving down the road and I randomly pick up the phone and call Clint just to check on him. Or he does the same with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, uh, we typically don't go too long without, we really without don't. staying in touch. And what's beautiful is I, as I think Dream knew at the end of the day, more than anything else, I'm a competitor. Whether I'm taking on Travis in trivia, taking on Robert in trivia, I love to compete. It just it drives me. I, I love it. Yeah. And and I remember Dring had just put on. I had I'd been training with you a few months, and Dring had just put on put on um, an MMA fight. I said, Hey, when's the next time you're doing an MMA fight? He goes, I'm doing a jitsu tournament next, and you're going to do it. <laughs> and that's how I signed up for my first jiu-jitsu tournament, and it, yeah. it just and it and it got it. It, it was addictive because I, I I got second in gi, and then I got third in no gi, but then I about ripped somebody's arm off with an americana, and so I was so happy that I <laughs> about it. So, and there was no like easing into it like I do now. It's like this: your left arm is coming home with me. Yeah. Well, yeah, white belts are more dangerous. They are. I'm, a, I'm, I'm like, I got to tell you, my favorite is to get Clint fired up, getting ticked off at the opponent. Okay. But sometimes you got to get in his face to get him ticked off, right? Getting ticked off at the opponent. His eyes will start going up like this. Like, he's talking to you, but he's looking over here. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. You know, it's all. That in my last super fight, I got up with the crazy guys. Yeah, he went into overtime at that super fight. We were there, and I told Clint, I said, I knew you were about to win it. I said, because you got up one time, and your eyes were looking like you were looking at us, but your eyes were going up higher. I said, I knew you were – I said, that was it. He was mad. It was done. Yeah. I didn't stand a chance then. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, during talk about the, the bigger guys, as I'll go out there and I'll be like, like especially if a lot of the smaller guys, your middleweights, your flyweights are going right before us, um, they just they'll be out there doing their barambolos and their flips and crap, whatever they do, I don't know. But they'll be doing that skinny guy fast jujitsu, and we'll go out there all everybody's like, okay, this one's not gonna be near as exciting, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure, and you do not want to get underneath that. You know, that's uh and it, it's funny because even Clint has told me before, he goes, Look, dude. In my division, don't nobody want to be on bottom. <laughs> you know what I mean? It ain't good for anybody at that weight class to be on the man on bottom. That's right. Oh, and, and everybody says it's both like the big guys are boring, but everybody said that me and Goforth had the fight of the night at the super fights. Mm -hmm. Because when it well, went down to that, well, it went to the takedown round. And when you have two, you know, almost 300 pounders flying around the mat trying to take each other down and going out of bounds, it, it got um, interactive. <laughs> well, it becomes a seismic event. I mean, it registered on a Richter scale somewhere in the state, you know, when they hit the ground. Well, you know, there's even me as a novice, okay, I appreciate the technical aspects of sports. 
And so even at like at his super fight, I appreciated all the things that were going on that don't, they're not the big things, you know, and I, and I'm like that with basketball. You know, I always tell people all the time on our podcast, don't just watch the ball, watch the guy setting picks over here and moving around and what, you know, playing defense off the ball and, and you know, things like that. And in the same way in, in watching him in his super fights, I was watching the way he was trying to place his legs and trying to place his arms and trying to, even with his head, I mean, all these little, you know, what seem like as you're watching it, little things to a novice like me, like, I'm like, okay, those are, those are actually really big things that are happening, you know, because one, one wrong lean, one wrong move, it could, you know, it could end the, the fight, you know, give you, you know, a lot of times that's called hidden jujitsu. Um, there's, there's aspects that you really have to feel, You'll see somebody, you know, reach out and establish a grip or they establish a collar tie or, you know, they're fighting for wrist control or they've got a, a grip on the gi and they're extending and there's pressure. And But some of that, like you're saying, is very subtle. Mm -hmm. And until you feel it and you realize, oh, this big boy's got all my weight over that lead leg. I mean, they're they're trying to set people up for, for that one shot, for that ankle pick, for that high crotch for the single leg, they're looking to duck under, get get waist control, grip control. And there's so much that if to the untrained eye, it's, oh, I'm two guys are just moving around. But no, there's there's a lot going on there to, to, and sometimes it comes down to the first guy that actually makes a mistake, gets a little fatigued and raises up and lets the other guy get underneath him. Um, you know, has a bent arm when he should add a straight arm or has a straight arm when he should add a bent arm. And, you know, there's, there's little things that can happen. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, Oh, he just suddenly took him down. It's like, no, he was working for three minutes or five minutes yeah, yeah. to set that up for that sudden takedown, you know, no, and like I lost that, one, that guy that's 20 years for the overnight success. What Clint? I'm sorry. I know I say I lost the New York Open at my first tournament. It was a purple. My, as my second tournament, as purple belt. But I'd done. The, I went and done the New York Open. I'd won my first match, and I was in the finals against a guy named Damon Ralph, and he got like I think up to the number one brown belt in the world. But I went to do a pass that like sprawl pass from half guard, and I just left this elbow just slightly out, just a little bit. He peeks around the corner as I go to pass. He gets the Kimura on me. Yeah, just you know, just a little, just you know, little bitty thing. Like if it, if I'd have got been another second, I would have probably passed his guard. But it did. It wasn't to be. You know, he yeah. took my left arm home as a souvenir that day. <laughs> good, good judgment oftentimes comes from bad experiences. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, it does. And I've always found it so much easier, um, like after a loss, to to motivate myself to get, to get back up. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then it, then it was for the wins. Now, now you did, um, I verified this with you earlier. You were there through uh, Willie's blessing. You presented Bryce his, his black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Bryce Mitchell, thug nasty yes. gentleman. Um, what are your thoughts on his, on his UFC career and how he's kind of, you know, he, he's been that guy. I mean, we've had other guys go to the UFC, but no one's from Arkansas has seen the success on the big stage and mixed martial arts he has. 
What do you think? Bryce is an incredibly talented athlete. Um, he's a hard worker, cardio for days. Yeah. Um, what you see is what you get. Genuinely a nice guy. I think the world of Bryce, uh, he's, you know, uh, can't say enough nice things about him. And uh, it's kind of guy get out. He rolls with everybody. He trains lots of different places. He's, uh, I think he has approached um, his career intelligently. You know, I mean, he's been, you know, picked his, he's not out there necessarily fighting every two months, you know, which, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for staying busy. That's also a good way to derail your career athletically because of injury. I mean, you know, you only have so many years. It's a brutal sport, yeah. right? And uh, being on, I'm the co-chair of the Arkansas Athletic Commission. Uh, through the Athletic Commission, I've traveled and gone to uh, conferences on injuries and, and, you know, CTE. I've been sat through lectures on you know, what CTE looks like, not just for boxers, but also for MMA fighters. And uh, so I think being very, very smart about how you approach that career so that there's life after fighting is important. Um, and, and right now, you know, Bryce is, I think he's aware of that. He's certainly uh, picking, and he's uh, he's very very talented. He's been he's he's done very very well, and so I think he'll I think we'll continue to see good things. I think he's got an excellent test coming up. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, you know this fight will be kind of like the, the gatekeeper to greatness, if you will. You know he'll uh, he's definitely setting himself up to take a, a jump up the rankings and start looking at maybe some bigger and more high-profile fights well, if he gets past this one. Of course, he's got to get past. He, at that level of the sport, you can't take any fight lightly. You know no. I mean? The no only, important, the the only important fight he's got is the one he's got this weekend, right? I mean, that's the only one that counts. Now, yeah, tell us about that fight. It's this weekend? Yeah. Edson Barboza, um, kickboxer. And like you said about uh, – about Bryce, his gas tank is unbelievable. I've rolled, rolled with him a couple times, and it's like I want to be chubby and lay on him, which he did say my side control was really good. Um, he didn't think he was going to get out, so he got out, and then I had to chase his little butt around for about four more minutes. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, he don't. if you're rolling with Bryce, he'll come in, he'll roll with everybody, and he does not stop. No. If, you, if you roll, if it's a five minute row, as soon as you slap hands, you're going for five minutes. Yeah. The only time you're taking the time off is when you're tapping. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I think sets Bryce. I mean, like, I consider myself somewhat athletic for a big guy. I mean, Bryce is on a completely another, complete different level. You know, and I tell you, God gives you that potential. To be honest, you know what I'm saying. I mean, uh, right. he, he's developed it, but that's. That's God-given potential. I mean, you know, there's uh, there's just some things that genetically some people can do and some people can't do. Then it doesn't matter how much heart or desire or work ethic that you have. I mean, you know, you have to you have to be given a certain amount of potential 
uh, in your DNA to be able to do this. We, we all have things. I mean, you know, it's like asking a, a ballet dancer to be a power lifter. It's like, well, the power lifter can power lift and the ballet dancer can ballet dance. They're both athletic and, and they're both incredibly strong in their own rights, but genetically, you know, they were built different. I mean, it's, it's interesting uh, whether you're talking about Olympic level athletes in, in different disciplines, or you're talking about the difference between somebody that makes a good basketball player versus somebody that makes a good football player. I mean, there's, there's just certain things, you know, that, that kind of determine that. And uh, Bryce was definitely gifted, you know, for what he, for what he does. Now, just because you have potential, you know, I mean, they're all, they'll saying how hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. You know, Bryce has worked real, real hard. I'm not just, I mean, I think sometimes people use that whole talent or genetic potential thing as an excuse. It's like, no, I mean, to, to a certain extent, we're all given a certain amount of potential, right? But he's, he was given, he was given great potential, but he's worked he's worked bloody hard, you know, make no mistake. I know he has trained very, very, very hard and has been in, uh, to, to realize what, uh, he's able to do and that, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for him. And, you know, we always want to see our Arkansas boys do well. And, uh, I'm, I love, uh, I love cheering Bryce on. Now, now you got to corner him his first UFC fight, the ultimate fighter finale, didn't you? Yes, guys. Did they give you any good swag? They do. You know, it's crazy that uh, they they hook you up with shoes and you know. I mean, back then it was still Reebok, right? So I mean, yeah, Reebok. Now Reebok's yeah, in Walmart, so it's I not mean, as nice. I've you know still got got all the stuff. They they list you out, so it was a real honor, and uh, I I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed getting to be there. Uh, be there with them you know uh it's like you know it's like having a grand student you know it's a student of a student so william mclaughlin uh trained with me for years and years and years and willie was one of my pro fighters and and uh he went on uh his boys grew up in my gym and then uh willie opened his own gym first in cabot and then they moved to searcy well that's when I think Bryce started training with them when he first moved to Searcy, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he was there in uh, Cabot. I'm pretty sure it was Searcy when when Bryce started training with William and uh, with Willie. So, uh, you know, it's like having a, a student of a student. And so I, I was uh, I was really excited when uh, Willie called me and, and said, "Hey, you know, we'd like you to to come and uh, to Vegas and, and be in Bryce's corner." It was a big, uh, it was a big honor, you know, that let me legitimately say I've cornered in the UFC and it, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, so uh, that's cool. I mean, you know, but day in, day out, I haven't, I mean, he's, he's been at events that I've, that I've taught at, but Willie's his coach. And then, you know, I mean, he's training, Bryce now training over at West side, I believe, and works out with different people and does different things. And, he just uh, so now I'm 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 fundamentally a, a Bryce Mitchell fan, like yeah. you know lots of the rest of the state. And I tell you one thing, I think Bryce is one thing I was smart to do, and one thing I think Bryce has been really smart to do is Bryce often finds his way over to UALR 
to work out with a wrestling team. And I've, you know, of course, I've met Cisco through uh, and work out quite a bit with him over at CBC. Um, do you, th- how, how important do you think a wrestling base is or, or how much of advantage is a wrestling base in, in MMA? It's huge. And so you look at wrestlers come up in a structured program. By the time you make it to college, right? If you, if you wrestle in college, uh, in, in elite, most elite MMA athletes, you're seeing more and more guys that have a, a, a wrestling background. They were D1 wrestlers. So, and well, well, you know, does that speak to the efficacy of, of wrestling? And I said, no, I think that speaks to the efficacy of college athletics. And here's why I say that is that you go to BJJ school, you pay your money, you show up, you do your class, you go home. Now, let's say that you're a, you're a D1 athlete in wrestling. Well, that means you got a scholarship, most likely. And that means you are bound. When the coach says you're going to be at that track at 6 a.m. to run, your ass is at the track and you're running at 6 a.m. And then you have a dietitian that's providing you food because a lot of those guys are they're having to make weight. And so they don't have to worry about what to eat. They're being fed. Oh, and then you're going over here and you got a strength coach that's got, I mean, he's got initials after his name where he's working on his master's or his doctorate and exercise physiology. And so you don't have to think, well, what kind of weight routine am I going to do? You show up, they put the weights, they track everything you do and you're, you're on it. You're, you're lifting weights. And then it's come time for wrestling practice and you're already a couple of workouts in for the day. And now maybe you got a coach that does nothing but specialize in your, in your takedown game, or you've got a, a coach that specializes in the referee's position, or you're, you're rolling and you're, you got guys that are looking at you and constantly tracking your progress. And their job as coaches is to take care of you. So now, man, you have had a benefit of, of that athletic program. If, if there were scholarships for Brazilian jiu-jitsu and there was money yeah. in a money program, then you would see a difference. You know, I mean, that's something that, that it's, it's hard to compete with coming out of the average BJJ gym, right? I mean, you don't have dietitians. You don't have, you know, you don't have the athletic trainers that are, you get through with the workout and they're grabbing your butt and they're putting you in an ice bath. They're taping your ankle. You know I mean? They're taping you up before your workouts. They're icing you down and they're tending to your injuries. I mean, as uh, you know, most BJ, you got to do all that for yourself. And so as a coach, I have gone and gotten strength certifications. I have gotten, I've gone to all kinds of, of clinics to try to be, you know, all those things from athletic. I wrote a book on dealing with injury. I, I mean, that's because I've been injured a lot, but you no, know, I read it. <laughs> yeah, it makes it, but I, I try to educate myself on how to deal with a lot of the common sports injuries. Whereas 
if you're in a college, a collegiate athletic program, you got an athletic trainer that does that for you, right? I try to, I, um, you know, got strength certifications and, and, you know, went to different strength training, conditioning, you know, strength and conditioning camps. But in a college level, I mean, you got coaches that guys that they're not also trying to be your technical coach. All they do is worry about the strength aspect, right? Or their or the strength aspect as it relates to wrestling. They know exactly how to do that. When you look at, uh, I'll give you an example, Ronda Rousey. When she first made her splash, she came out of the Olympic Training Center. Like, you know, guys, that, that you know, some of the elite level judo, she was an elite level judo athlete, but she got to go to the Olympic Training Center. And so she had those kind of benefits, right? Now imagine you're somebody that just coming out of, you know, Joe Blow's gym and you're trying to do all those things all by yourself. So now I I feel like, I feel like wrestling is a huge base. We didn't have wrestling in Arkansas when I was growing up. I mean, it's only been in the state about the last 10, 12 years, you know, I mean, it, it hadn't been around that long, 14 years tops. Right. So it, it just has not been in the state widely that long. So now we're behind the curve as a state, but it's, it's growing every year that goes by, you know, I mean, wrestling is becoming more and more entrenched in, uh, in the state. So you got high school programs, we've got collegiate programs and the, the fundamentals of the sport, especially I think where, uh, Topside position, cage control, takedowns, wrestling reigns dominant. When it comes time, of course, everything that we like to do in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is against the rules in wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> so once, once it gets down on the ground, especially from a top surviving on bottom or topside position, that's where jiu-jitsu starts to reign supreme. Everybody in wrestling has to cross-train in submission. But everybody, you know, Andre Pedaneris, uh, the the guy that uh, he and Wendell Alexander started Novignon, and they're a real big MMA team as well, was big. I mean, from early in my my uh, jiu-jitsu career, said cross-trained wrestling. So I've always been – and I've always had an eclectic attitude. I mean, I've trained in judo. I've trained in sambo. <coughs> seminars, not, not like official class, but – I've always sought out and I've cross-trained wrestling. I mean, I, I, uh, not too long ago, I had Kevin Kretschmeyer, who, who uh, wrestling coach at Washita Baptist came up, did a, did a seminar for us. I've had other wrestlers come in, do uh, seminars for us. And I, I, I'm, I'm huge on, uh, on believing that you have got to cross-train uh, wrestling, not just for MMA, but also for BJJ. Uh, feel like uh, that's where, where jiu-jitsu is a sport when you – is sport jiu-jitsu is, is, is greatly influenced by, uh, by wrestling. You know, that work ethic and that go, go, go and that drive, um, I think it's, it's really uh, huge. And you're seeing more and more guys that after, after college wrestling, they're kind of like – you know, I mean, if they're not an elite level wrestler and then they're going to the on the international stage or trying to 
get into the Olympics. Once college is done, they don't really have an outlet. So they find their way to jujitsu. So, you know, you're seeing people uh, kind of a hybrid, I think modern U.S. jiu-jitsu, American jiu-jitsu is starting to really look like this hybrid BJJ wrestling kind of, uh, of uh, vehicle. And uh, I think it's exciting. You know, I, I think it's, it's got a little more go to it and um, it, it's, a, it's a good look. Well, I really you know, think you should give Clint a chance to start his new um, blend of MMA. Uh, you know, he's got the college football. He's got the pro wrestling. He'll, he'll get out the purple singlet and the, and the cowboy boots that he used to wear to the ring as wild card coat and cash. Yeah. Blend those together with this with jujitsu. Man, you'll have people flocking to your seminars. I mean, now I'm coming Wednesday. Should I wear the purple singlet? Just to just, oh, yeah. Yeah, just man. Uh, I think that singlet. just strikes terror into the heart of your partners right there. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah they're like, people will be giving like up their blocking the door. You come up there wearing a purple singlet. <laughs> yeah. No, and one thing that you did say, uh, Dream, that I, that I really want to encourage when I when I found jujitsu, I martial art, I was out of shape. I was trying to get back in shape for. For you guys that have played high school sports, collegiate sports, whatever, when you get out, find a martial arts program, uh, or so, whether it's jujitsu or something else, because what's easy about it is because we get programmed that, that a coach saying, do this, do this, do this. My hardest part about jujitsu is putting the key in the nation and driving there. Because I get there, I'm having somebody like Dring saying, do this. Yeah, it's a little bit, now that I'm a black belt, it's a little bit different. I have to make myself do it too. But but it's uh, but I mean, it's just so much easier to go there and have them tell you do it. Have Johnny Wester, Danny Dream, Brian Wilson, Steve Snyder, any of the guys I've trained with, to say, "Hey, do this," and and do it. I think it's we we get programmed, and it's a good way to stay in shape after you've been programmed. Well, and I, you know, when you say black belt, you know that that journey to black belt was. Uh, pretty freaking long <laughs> you know what i mean and it's it's not a straight path right i mean life rears its ugly head injuries rear its ugly head there's things that can take us off the mats and uh you always found your way back on the mat you know and uh that uh that drive to compete you know help help pull you back in and you know it's uh but a lot of times people don't realize, I mean, how spe- I, to me, and, and I've got black belts and a half a dozen different martial arts, and I work bloody hard for every one of them. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm just as proud of my black belt in Taekwondo as I am my black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I trained really, really, really hard in Taekwondo. I mean, you know, I put in a lot of hours and stuff. But there's no denying that that black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is somewhat special because it's it's hard to get i mean just being able to endure you know i mean the years it's it's not a hey 24 36 months and you're a black belt you know in my gym in 24 months you're probably i mean a good good chance you're a blue belt but there's no guarantee i mean it's a it's 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 two years, a year and a half, two years, three, two and a half years to make it the blue belt. And uh, 
you know, it takes and then a lot longer than that to make it to purple. So it, it's a it's a long journey. You know, I mean, it averages 10 years or more to make a, to make a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Well, in this day and age of immediate gratification and, you know, 15 second sound bites and reels and everything else to to endure in any sport that long is pretty impressive. You know, I mean, it, it does speak a lot about the individual, you know, because bottom line, you know, can't nobody do it for you but you. So, you know, it is impressive anytime anybody can make a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu from a, you know, a, a legit legit program because that means they had to work stupid hard yeah yeah no and, and you don't just give rank you, you it has to be it has to be earned and that's, that's true. always respected green we could talk all day we ain't even got into any of your law enforcement stuff we just basically stopped the sport of jiu-jitsu and we thank you so much for jumping on yeah man i've been i've enjoyed this it's been a great conversation uh you know, we, we do appreciate you jumping on here with us and and uh, sharing your knowledge and experience with us. And even for a guy like me that doesn't know a whole lot about it, but uh, I think- Well, guys, I, I hope y'all have me back on sometime. Yeah, I man. I enjoy getting to sit and uh, sit and visit with y'all and, and uh, just kind of share uh, share my love of the martial arts and, and uh, some of my philosophies about teaching and training and, and uh, okay. it's been a pleasure. It's been a real blessing. Now, now plug for you guys. Is. So if we got go anybody that, around the area that may want to come train or, or come see you or anything. Sure. We're, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in Sherwood. My, uh, my gym is living defense martial arts and I'm at 308 East Keel in uh, Sherwood. Mm. And uh, you know, we're on, on Facebook, Danny during LDMA, and, and of course, Living Defense Martial Arts, pretty easy to it's find. Your last name, so we D R I N G, ring with the D, during. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we love having people come in and give it a try. And we specialize in getting people started and, and helping them uh, on their uh, martial art journey. Great. Oh, and my life's better for knowing both of you. And, and, that, and that's, that's genuine and sincere. Um, well, thank you, I, I can't put into words what both of you mean to me. I don't want to start crying like I did the night I got my black belt because I did ball like a baby. Uh, <laughs> hey, and I still owe you a dinner too. We got to go. I away. haven't forgot. I haven't, I haven't forgotten, uh, brother. I still owe you a dinner. That's why I was like, I was trying to come for that that storm on Wednesday. I'm like, well, my drink will probably buy me lunch if I get up there. <laughs> you know, and I was sad, and then it just like, uh, we we but it'll happen. I promise. Yeah, we got we got to Mayflower, and we're like, yeah, this is probably best we turn around. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, we uh, Danny, once again, thank you so much. We appreciate you, uh, and we, we will have you on again, man. We we won't talk. Uh, we get, you know, we got a lot of folks. I know friends of mine that that listen every week to us, and and they uh, they're big MMA fans, and I know they're gonna enjoy enjoy this. And if you're out there, you're listening. Like and share. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify. Uh, share this with your friends. Share it on social media. Check us out. Uh, Big C, Bigger T is on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And uh, let us know what you think. Let us know what you thought of this interview, of uh, this episode, and uh, all that, man. Danny, once again, thank you so much, Clint. You guys. As always, man. Enjoyed it. 
You guys have an awesome day. Be great out there. Sweat. Change. Oh, the 